This is Jim Wills, and you are listening to the Crave Magazine Podcast, where we feed your soul with art. Peace and love to everyone. Live in your truth. The universe will take care of the rest. Art is the expression of human creativity. Your life can be enriched by the most beautiful things that are around you. You just have to understand what you're looking at. Gamelan's a community thing, and that's actually the most important thing about Gamelan. We are here this week on the podcast with two artists who work both separately and together. They've been artists for many, many years. One over 10 and one 15 years, or at least has decided to be an artist 15 or 16 years ago. I am here with Morgan Mandala and Randall Roberts. Hello. Hello. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So glad to have you guys here, or glad to be here. I'm at yours in your studio, your home studio in Boulder, Colorado. So, And I want to start out the podcast with an inspiration, something that you guys are inspired by. Uh, you have some pretty radical art that I can't wait to get into, but I want to talk first about what inspires you guys. So why don't you each, in turn, give me an inspiration, something you carry with you. Gosh, inspiration. Uh, it's been a while. I, uh, I always liked to draw and make art. It's been part of my life since I was a little kid. Most little kids have it, but for some reason it, it just caught with me. And then much later in life, uh, deep into my 20s, uh, I worked for IBM, and uh, I guess what really pushed me off was meeting Alex and Allison Gray, uh, who lived and worked nearby in New York, where I grew up. Okay. So I went and hung out with them, and it wasn't them, but the uh, group of artists around them as well, and I saw for the first time, oh my God, there are people who identify as artists, and they're uh, you know, succeeding at it. I think through... That first veil uh, being moved, I then could see how you can respond to this weird thing called life with art, and that was my fit. So I guess that inspired me to start making uh, paintings, you know, make, uh, to try to, you know, make stuff that doesn't suck. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I don't know. That's... Uh, that was my that was my my big inspiration really was uh, just meeting other artists and 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 poking your head up into the the clouds there and seeing you know and seeing oh the rest of my life can be like this. I when when was that? That was two thousand and two around there. Okay. And then uh, yeah, I, I don't know how that's a good answer. <laughs> oh well, yeah, we'll st- we'll start there. We'll start there. How about you, Morgan? I yeah, I always did art throughout my life. I was always a drawer, kind of almost in an addictive sense, doodling all over everything. And I think I was encouraged by art teachers and from a really young age. So I kind of kept with it. And through, you know, struggles as a kid, I felt like art was kind of my one saving grace. So I think emotionally as a kind of a, a tool to process and reflect, it was a really important thing throughout my growing up and as I got older I started to use it to explore other things that were kind of either within myself or in my connection to the world definitely psychedelics and learning about the philosophies of the world and how people look at the world and view it was something I really wanted to explore and studied in college so once I finally got out I kind of wanted to explore that a little deeper. How do we look at the world and what's our relationship to it? And moving here, um, I definitely wanted to strengthen my connection with nature, which is a huge inspiration as well. Sure, sure. I get nature a lot yeah. from artists. Randa, you're from New York originally? Is yeah, that right? I grew up in uh, the Hudson Valley. Okay. Um, and how about you? Where are you from? Chicago. Chicago, okay. And did you always want to be an artist, Randa, or... Because you had uh, said that you... Yeah, when I was a little kid, I wanted to, to be like a movie director, I remember. Uh, and then w- once I went to my one 
semester at community college. <laughs> I got a 4.0 my first semester and a 1.5 my second. <laughs> I, uh, but I went because uh, I wanted to make uh, video games. I was really into uh, like uh, maybe the design side of video game okay. uh, stuff. And I met some cool art teachers there, and, and, and one of them kind of pulled me aside and said, hey, man, you, you know, you got to move to New York, you got to to the city, you know, and you got to go to Pratt or Cooper Union because you're really good. And, and I, it just, like, freaked me out because I was from this small town in, in New York, and I didn't want to move to the city. Uh, so, so, yeah, I, you know, I didn't get serious until until later. And, that, and you said you had art all through school. Yeah. Did you want to be an artist? Like, were you like, I want to be an artist? I didn't your thing? think I would be an artist. It was just always something I did. Okay. Um, and then as I got older, I was like, okay, well, my family really wants me to go to college. And, and that was kind of like inheritance, take it or leave it, was go to college or you get nothing. And if you don't go to college, we'll shame you for the rest of your life. Oh, my goodness. So I went and I was going to be... Uh, large animal veterinarian oh, actually wow. yeah so i was going to be an animal doctor i love animals and once i got into a little bit more um i realized that i don't want to spend my life doing the things that i would have to do basically huge part of it was uh, euthanization yeah yeah and you know kept making art still and then kind of switched over because i realized it was just this common thread throughout my life that i couldn't really stop doing sure so I figured I'd just keep going with it. And At what point did you realize that you could make a living as an artist? I guess... Mm, that's a really that's slow a really, process. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you had said... You approach it grassroots style like, like we did. Yeah. Well, Randall, you had said that you had kind of this moment where you were like... Yeah. You saw other artists and you're like, wow, they're, right. I could so, possibly... So I, I, I popped my head into college for a minute and I was like, oh God, I don't belong in this art world. And then, um, you know, several, I, so instead I got a job, uh, a, a good paying job, uh, and did that for several years. And then I met, like I said, a bunch of artists and realized like, oh shit, you know, it could have been a, a hot dog cart. Uh, I, I saw f uh, for the first time that you can make your own way in life. Okay. You know, and, yeah. I, and I got this entrepreneurial kind of like uh, fire lit under me and went, uh, like front flipped into being an artist, you know, and then having it be a career was from that jump off point, a slow process. Sure, sure. Um, it's very incremental, you know, it's like when you make a website, you know, you, you, you put a lot of energy into it at first, and then there's a lot of little maintenance and, and updates and changes over mm -hmm. the years, mm -hmm. but the, the structure stays the same. So I am an artist, you know, is the beginning, and then, uh, which is a big transformation out of the chrysalis, you know, and then, yeah, then you learn uh, as you go and piece together. I also think when, when I started live painting early on before it was really like, you know, I don't know, maybe my first time live painting was like 2007, 2008. And at that time there were very, very few live painters. Okay. And I was friends with a lot of musicians. So I kept being asked to paint at these shows and then once that kind of picks up and there were at the time, you know, maybe 2010, even there were still only a handful of live painters throughout the country. So we all kind of knew each other sure. and would get asked to go to these different events. And that's when I really started feeling like it could become something because there was this underground network that was very tightly knit throughout the country and the world. Mm -hmm. um, and even if, you know, I wasn't making much money, at least we could gain the support and keep doing it there was at least a glimpse of the support being there right right when you say live painting you're talking about doing a painting in front of an audience yeah yeah live like People have done that for or, a long time but there, there's been a whole movement uh, in the last 10 years in the united states around the festival scene right you know let's talk about your artwork a little bit so i met you guys speaking of live painting i met you guys at uh, an event that desert dwellers was playing at and had subsequently interviewed them for an earlier podcast episode 20 i believe it was and you guys have a style that is distinct yet i think similar if if i may to like you mentioned alex gray mm -hmm. has kind of a similar feel and it's kind of a similar vibe in in that Talk a little bit, why don't you start, Morgan, talk a little bit about that style that you have and in doing live painting and how that sort of came about. Yeah, let's see, I guess 
Alex is definitely an inspiration, I think, to everyone in our whole crew. His paintings are just so obviously... Um, they translate to anyone who speaks any language, and that's what I think is a really powerful thing about art. So I feel like, personally, I have almost two separate styles that are related, but one is kind of that symbolic, you're trying to convey a meaning or get things across ideas that can be translated in any language. You don't need to know the language to understand a painting. Sure. And I think probably the symbols and bright colors, the sharpness, maybe kind of the vein of Alex Gray that you see, the, the high chroma, kind of loud colors. And then when me and Randall work together and kind of this spontaneous flow, like these live paintings here, um, the large ones, it's an exploration more. Like we work with a constant theme mm -hmm. of you are the light, you're the one. Um, so each sunburst is kind of the you at your true self. And then you have all this absurd nonsense around that you're trying to, you know, sift through to get back to your... And they're beautiful, you know, all the things in life, all your ideas, all your, the, the weight of all the things you have to do and the people you know, but you're still that one light, so. Well, yeah. So do you put that, do you try to put that sort of spiritual sense of God into your work when you paint? I would say so. Well, you talked I mean, about a little I bit about like the, the light, rays of light. it's the most or, important thing you can make art about. You talked a little bit about, before we started recording, uh, Morgan, you talked about sacred art. Would you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, I think you look all over the world and, and just different icons, um, different stories, uh, connections, how people see their connection to the world and, and how they embody those with different figures or beings or symbols or signs. And um, a lot of like what I do is trying to reinterpret these archetypes or these signs and combining them from different spiritual traditions of the world because they are kind of, people give symbols power. Sure. And I think using those symbols kind of can, at least through you or maybe it's in your mind, but imbue your work with that power. And spiritual art is meant to be reflective and also maybe sometimes confronting. And I think sometimes Alex's or art paintings can be confronting for people to a point where it's, maybe even uncomfortable for them. Mm -hmm. um, we've yeah. definitely had some people... Yeah, we've had our art taken down from like really groovy places. Have you really? Would, yeah, think, it's, uh, it's too would, much for people. <laughs> when you say too much, that. what do you mean? Because you're like your art, for people who haven't seen it yet, and we, of course we'll have your art on our, on our uh, website, and we'll have links to all your, all your social media and all your, all your web stuff. When you say too much, I think people first think of like, oh, it's pornographic or something like that would be considered too much. It's not that at all. It's just so bold and brilliant, and there's a lot going on. And I think with any one piece, you could sit there for hours and stare at it. And I initially set out to it's to pretty make, amazing uh, roadmaps for people who were in a psychedelic experience. Okay. So it's this flashy uh, billboard that catches your attention. Maybe at a festival, the festival scene has been really warm to us, and it, we consider it home at this point. Um, and we know people go deep there. You go with your best friends. You you you, um, you take a little more than you're used to, and you have you know uh, it's church for a lot of people. Sure. So I wanted to make these like placards that catch your attention, and then uh, you get zeroed in on, uh, for instance, this one on the light, and hopefully uh, realize that you're looking at yourself. You know. Um, I don't know. A lot of this thought has has gone into the the painting, but that was like, you know, the outset. Now we just kind of make make art with well, with that those sort of ground rules. I, I don't know. It also that. depends too. Like our um, our live paintings, I think, are more digestible. The ones that are the more uh, metaphorical, abstract paintings are are easier to for people. I think our big paintings, specifically like Trinity over there. And Alan Watts over here, we had um, hanging. It's kind of an interesting story at the uh, Ken Wilber place. But yeah, there was there was a lot of different reactions to it, and I think it's interesting to see people turn. Like there was one person we talked to. Is that okay if I tell the story? Um, who 
came in who he worked there and he said you know at first he was really didn't like the alan watts painting he didn't know why it just freaked him out or something like he, it made him uncomfortable as same um people said with the trinity too they see it as dark and i don't mean it to be that way at all well we freely but, take from all religious you know we just we just harvest from religious I, imagery yeah right and if someone grew up in a, in a really tight religious household they walk in they see like how dare you make a painting of a saint and have it be, you know, whatever, Bill Hicks or something, you know? Right. It's like people's relationship to religion is, is all very unique. And uh, we found out that it's like, we didn't, we didn't know it was such a stuff serious deal for so many people. Yeah. But, <laughs> so we started making like religious art. Yeah. <laughs> and and then, then I think it's, <clears throat> it's confronting it. What we hope is if people are confronted with those feelings and this is kind of what happened there was, you know, eventually that guy said, you know, eventually I kept looking at this painting every day and I was really intrigued why it bothered me at first. And throughout his time working there and before we took it down, he said it went from a painting he didn't like to becoming his favorite in the world. And he didn't know who Ellen Watts was. Okay. And so he started looking up Ellen Watts and seeing all these different symbols in the painting and it changed his life. And that's what our art is meant to do. If you're confronted by it, to push it away you can you have that choice and it's almost kind of a compliment that art would be so moving that people would want it to be taken down or so confronting so really we're not trying to yeah, Alan Watts I wasn't mean, made to, to be so to be hurtful or confronting or, or at Trinity wasn't made to be dark but people have their associations that they don't want to look a little deeper into heard the, the um, analogies the story about the there's the the mountain right and then you have the forest people and the desert people and the swamp people and plains people. They all take their wise, wisest uh, shaman and they send them up to see what's at the top of the mountain. So from all these directions, all the wisest people come up and they get to the top of the mountain and they realize it's the same mountain. <laughs> right? So we make art about that mountaintop. Okay. Our community... Uh, is the is we call it the love tribe you know it's the just all the cool people in the world who see that it's all the same you know thing and the thing is that psychedelics for whatever reason do to lend themselves to this epiphany you know yeah. i don't know why it's pretty pretty interesting you know if you do if you do take uh, some mushrooms or something in a, in a sacramental way it does open your eyes to you know for instance that all religions are talking about the same thing and Sure. Um, so that's why we, we 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 may have clumsily just taken from any you know symbolism we want to uh, to talk about this 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 thing that your your experience of of God is the experience of of, of God. Well, uh, on this Alan Watts piece, is it because you, like you've martyred him basically Ooh. in in creating a halo yeah, around his head? Yeah. And so, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that because any professional who has reached some pinnacle in their profession could be martyred, 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 martyrized within their profession of like, this is a person who has moved their profession forward in some way. Yeah. And I guess I pretty have, have a pretty open view of inclusive view of, of religious iconology or whatever. But with, with what you guys create, it's, it's beautiful in and of its own right. If no one knows anything about it's kind of the spiritual tie into it. But looking at it, and you talked about, is Trinity this one here on the wall? The circle, yeah. So it's dark in that the colors are dark. And it's got like a woman, and because she's blue, I'm guessing it's uh, supposed to be Kali. It's related to Kali. And she's holding a skeleton in her hand. And it's so, so and I can see that it's like kind of like the, uh, the Pieta mm -hmm. with Mary holding Jesus. And so I think the people that get bent out of shape for stuff like that are the people that are hung up on their own religious beliefs. Exactly. You know what I mean? Because it is, it's the symbolism behind it is much more powerful than the actual figures when you get right down to it. Yeah. But uh, I want to talk. So you guys paint separately, mm -hmm. and you create art separately, but you also create art together. Mm -hmm. Talk about how that came about. The festival uh, Rootwire was put on by our, our good friends Papadocio, and um, it was kind of uh, Anthony Thug Martin's idea to bring. Uh, people together, especially painters, and uh, from all over the place, and have them meet at their little down-home festival. 
and it was wildly successful they, they, uh, in that. Um, it eventually, the festival changed hands, and um, they don't run it anymore, but uh, its initial thing was like, uh, let, let's make this a sort of um, pilgrimage for all these really cool people. Okay. And, um, a huge part of their vision was especially painters. Let's bring all these painters together. So they brought this really cool guy from Mexico. They brought in Chris Dyer, Amanda the Sage, all these like you know really heavy hitter, wonderful painters. And Morgan and I met there. And uh, they asked us to do a painting with my best friend Crystal, Crystallize. Me, Randall, and Crystal. The festival's kind of like, will you paint this altarpiece together? Yeah. And yeah, we knew each other. We had met maybe once or twice before. Um, at other festivals, just like through the circuit, sure. It's a lot, like a lot of things a really, or something. yeah, yeah. They really lined up. Uh, my father was also dying, uh, kind of during Morgan and I doing this painting together, and I was in a you know wild space. That's a it's really crazy headspace. Um, she make, makes art about skeletons, and <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. We just it just really we just fell into being standing next to each other, making art. And, and after that, there was just no going back. It was, it was one, of the, one of those weird experiences. Yeah. Like, yeah. After we made our first painting together, and it was so easy and fluid and fun, and we just had a great connection, and so we just never stopped. Yeah. And it's easier to get more done as a, as a live painter. You know, if you can have the biggest, brightest painting there and create it throughout the weekend, it's way easier with two people. Yeah. You yeah. know? How do you decide on who's going to handle what or what? Like, we talked about a couple of rules in the beginning, uh, just guidelines, and then that was it. We just go. We now. hardly talk. Um, finding balance, we look for balance. So if it's unbalanced, whatever that means to you, balance it and and make it pretty. I mean, there's really that's yeah. why that's kind of why we do this. We we've worked with other painters, and uh, it can be a cacophony. You know, it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, but with us, it just it just did. And yeah, we'll go over like both of us have touched every single part of this painting, so it's hard to say who did what. We completely go over it. We'll just keep switching spots, and it's almost like you have an extra you. Like I'm like, oh, I'm stuck on this part. I'm gonna move somewhere else, and I come back to it. And I'm like, oh, thank God he fixed that. You know? Okay. If you and look so, at it like cleaning a house or something, you and your 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 wife cleaning a house. Uh, but do it, you know, without talking. Yeah. You, you know where the broom goes and how to, you know. So and if we, you know she's good at cleaning, then you're <laughs> yeah. not going to, like, be walking around like, oh, well, will you actually do the baseboard again? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? Like, so that's how we, yeah, we just, we just we trust go and like ants and, and move and move and work and work and, and then uh, the painting crystallizes. Have you ever had a situation, either of you, where, like, you were working on something and then you kind of went to a different area, and then the other person came in, and then you came back. We're like, that's not what I wanted to do there at all. Have you ever had any of that con conflict? A tiny bit, but nothing, not nothing major. Awesome. The, our our sort of ground rule is like, if it uh, if it already looks beautiful, let's try to leave it. We try to leave as much raw stuff from those initial strokes as possible. So we both kind of you know have the same aesthetic for what looks pretty. That's what I mean. I, I have worked with other live painters who yeah. who've just bomb your your shit <laughs> uh, yeah it can, it can be really confronting and, and uncomfortable you know like why did you do that you know why would you ruin this this cool little piece but morgan and i kind of have i think the same eye for what we think looks looks cool yeah and Just trust like, each other know. to like also it's paint you know and especially with live paintings um we kind of have a process that um, we kind of make it look like shit on purpose the first day because by the end of the weekend, we want to people to be able to see the process, see the sure. raw, ugly parts, see how we, you know, move through that. That's a big part of our performance else. painting is, is to be really vulnerable on the first night. And, yeah, we want people to, to, to walk by and go, like, why did they hire these people? <laughs> and then two days later, be like, oh. Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah, sure. And so I think it requires a lot of trust and also it's paint. And we teach a lot of classes with, like, this intuitive painting process where... Being able to paint over it, or if you mess something up, being able to move on and know that it's going to be okay and not get attached to any certain part. Because you might, at the very beginning, love one part, 
and leave it. And then you finish everything else around it. And now that part doesn't look so good anymore. Right. So right. it's just a constant state of flux. I noticed that you guys have a lot of repetition in your pieces. Uh, you repeat a theme through over like this one right here. You have these waves that are kind of paisley and there's drips coming off. And the other thing about them is that, that um, I've talked a little bit with some artists about sort of the, not necessarily the, the golden rule per se, but I guess it ties in, but like the... Um, golden ratio? Yeah, like, well, yes. There's another term. What's that mathematical term? It's Fibonacci sequence? The Fibonacci sequence. Yeah, we use that. You guys utilize that in your yeah. in your work. Yeah. Seeing a piece that has that involved in it, I think, that uses the uh, bone ratio or the Fibonacci, you get stuck in it, and it has a beauty that is indescribable because of that very thing. And like this right here, for example, you know, having those repeating waves that kind of get smaller, smaller by ratio, like the, I think a viewer that isn't familiar with that wouldn't even know. Why it why it is so captivating? But I think that's a large part of yeah, why it is captivating. It's definitely worth uh, for your listeners to research it if they're unfamiliar with the, it's it's an amazing it's you know possibly the foundation of the universe. <laughs> you know, um, it's all throughout the human body. The human your eyes sit at the golden ratio of, yeah. the, of the head. Uh, it, it, your arm can be broken down into those. So you know, it's a pine cones and. and uh, that uh, it can make nonsense look like for some reason it makes sense yeah exactly and i yeah, think for sure. that's kind of a for us a huge grounding point in every painting it's like okay well if we have the flow that at least kind of relates to these rule or our focal points at uh, one golden ratio point then we can kind of go crazy around there yeah around those simple things because at least there's some grounding in those rules that you know it's going to look all right yeah. it's compositionally important you know, for us. You mentioned you mentioned that she paints with skeletons a lot, and I see skeletons in a lot of your work. How did that come about? Like, why why skeletons? Because I think I like um, having a the human relation in uh, painting, but I it's hard to paint humans because you have to choose. You have to have a model, and you have to choose what they're going to look like. And there's a lot associated with identities. Sure. And. I want to make it so that you can't really exclude anyone. And I think for me, skeletons are like, if you, they could be any human in the world. Yeah. If it, you just strip them bare. Peel away the skin, you, yeah. You could be any skin color. You could be any identity. And, you know, I always give the, the example, like if you went to Mars and found a skull, you wouldn't be like, oh, that's creepy and morbid. You'd be like, there was life here. Right this is a sign of life, like a full life lived. And that's all we leave behind, you know, all of our, I mean, we have our ideas and what we learn, but physically when we become the earth, that is what's there. That's like what's left of our carbon-based life form. So I think it, it's just a really interesting symbol for me. And I, I wish it wasn't always seen as so dark. Right. I'm just trying to like strip it down to pure human. And I think that's where Alex Gray really has great strength is he has these see-through human bodies so you don't you can see it as man and woman obviously because he has that but um besides that it's pretty much could be anyone sure so yeah that's kind of like my main use of skeletons is trying to just represent you or your mother or your brother or anyone you, you talked about the long struggle early on randall like once you decided i'm going to be oh. an artist or i could possibly be an artist as a career or profession Talk a little bit about that, like that progression. Like, at what point did you know this was something that you could live off of? Hmm. That was kind of, I still think of it as somewhat recent. It's very incremental for all you young artists out there listening. Uh, <laughs> I, they, I focused for, you know, years, 10 years on making the best art I could. So we came to some of these, you know, conclusions that we were just talking about. I, 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 made paintings about the most important stuff in my life that I could think of. And I did a lot of portraits of like my closest friends who I loved, you know, I was putting love and in, in, into my painting, okay. love and intention, love and intention. Um, I love, uh, the show, the Simpsons. I, I, I was like great nuts about that show. And I, I did this like six foot high portrait of Homer Simpson. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, I was talking about psychedelics and sex and, you know, the most important things I could think of. And, you know, after you do 50 of those, people start to go, oh, he's serious. Yeah. You know, I was really focusing for a long time on, like, I don't want people to look at my paintings and, and point at something and say, why did you do that? And, you know, a lot of artists have this kind of, like, shrug, you know, oh, no, I like purple, I guess. I don't know. Right. You know, for me, I, I saw that early on. I was like, no, I have to know what's going on with, with this art. And so uh, I worked on that for a long time and did, you know, kind of, like, side work. Uh, I worked for uh, many years at the Omega Institute in New York. Uh, it's a yoga ret uh, meditation retreat center. Okay. It's the biggest, uh, biggest one in the country. And um, you can work summers there. It's a really, really awesome, cool place. So I was kind of like, I had one foot in the world of, uh, like, I got to pay bills while I build this body of work. So um, I, I did that. I worked there in the summers and then spent all winter just painting 14 hours a day. And I did that for several years. And then uh, I, I also kind of had an eye on the Internet and was, like, looking at how... You know, my first idea was like, well, I'll sell t-shirts, I guess, or something. You know, what do artists sell? It's really, really hard to live on original painting sales in that mm -hmm. whole blue chip gallery world. You know, we, we knocked on those doors at first, uh, but you just get rejected a thousand times. And you, you know. So I was kind of like, you guys think you're so cool? I'll just do this uh, myself. And, I, you know, so I looked at, again, I wanted to go back to, like, I, I could have sold coffee or something with the same entrepreneurial mindset. Our friend Chris Dyer, he's a big inspiration for me, and um, he's become one of my best friends, actually. Uh, I, love, I love Chris so much. He, 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 I wrote him an email. I wrote oh, to all the artists that I uh, admired, this back in 2004, uh, and I said, hey, I, I want to be an artist. How, how did you do it? And Chris was one of the artists who wrote me back, and he wrote me back a fucking book. And uh, one of the things that he said in that initial email was, if you're going to be a creative person, you have to get creative about how you make money. Mm. So I started waking up every day like, okay, I need to make money today. How am I going to do this if I want to really do this? Right. And yeah, that led to uh, making prints and uh, aggressively marketing myself online and looking at you know all that. I was lucky to hit Facebook right when it came out. And one of my first posts was like, hey, I have posters to sell. You guys, uh, you know, and so yeah, just uh, Homer got out too. I feel like, yeah, I was lucky. I, I, I was like working in obscurity on this Homer Simpson painting. Uh, again, following these these guidelines, I just wanted to make a beautiful painting about this this, this dumb cartoon guy I loved. You know, it was a big part of my life, and um, yeah, it kind of looked over my shoulder. Once it got on the internet and realized, like, oh, 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 snap! I made a, <laughs> I made a painting that people liked. People were into this. Yeah. I had a hundred other paintings that I thought were. I thought that my other stuff was cool, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Again, that comes back to like if you really believe in something. I think that's the that was the key thing. It's like uh, distilling down what you're super into. The way I think about it is like um, I heard it this way once. Like, you're a cool guy, right? You know, all your friends think you're cool. They, you give them cool music. You turn them on to Quentin Tarantino movies or something. You know what I mean? They're like, you're cool, man. You, you, really, you really have a cool taste. If you made a store and filled it up with whatever you thought was cool, so you have your mate tea, you've got your, your old VHS video section, you've got whatever Gundam dolls you're into, yeah. you know, and some, maybe some vegan brownies, you know, like... People would be like, dude, you got to go to that store. It's so cool. You go in there and it's like got all this cool stuff in. And it's all the stuff that you believe in the most. So I, I thought instead of opening that store, I'm going to do that with my art. Okay. I put in all the stuff I think is the coolest stuff. And then uh, if you you start to collect the fans of that stuff. Who also think it's cool. Who also think it's cool. Yeah. If you, and it turns out, yeah, there's a lot of people also into Mushrooms and The Simpsons. <laughs> and, and, so I just always put my, you know, put the stuff through that 
you know, vetting, vetting process. Right, right, <laughs> vetting process, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And say, okay, is, it, is this true to me? Is this cool? Do I really think this is the coolest right, ever? Right, right. Uh, am I working on the best painting ever? And why not? You know, so that, anyway, I followed that string and just kept pulling it and pulling it and pulling it. And then, you know, but you, you, you make like $100 your first year, 300 the next, 400 the next, you know, but you just incrementally work your way up to yeah. a full living. Well, you had, you had mentioned store and Morgan, I know I, I haven't, in full disclosure, I haven't dug as deep into your online presence random as Morgan. Yeah, it's funny, cause it's I, way more interesting. <laughs> well, I had just noticed, I noticed Morgan, you, you have kind of taken that store idea and ran with it because you, you have your art on everything. You, you know, you, you sell it online, but not just as, as prints or G clays, as we talked about or originals, but you have, you put on our, you you put on a t-shirts and stuff like She's that. She's wearing pants right now. And yeah, these are Vision Lab. This is a <laughs> those pants that you made. These are by Vision Lab, but it's one of our, me and Randall's painting. And that I think is really key in today's world for 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 many artists. Totally. In that, my experience, especially with young artists, is that they're stuck on this. I want to create art, and like you had talked about, it's going to be in a gallery, or somebody's going to buy it, and it's going to hang on a wall, and it's going to be they're going to buy it for ten thousand dollars right off the bat. Even if you could sell. How many ten thousand dollar paintings a year? Like even a mm -hmm. knockout, sold out show is barely enough for an artist to live. Right, like, right. Yeah. People are so purist of like, oh, I'm not going to put my art on a t-shirt or a pair of pants or even a coffee mug or whatever. But it's like you know, I hope your parents are rich. Getting your yeah, getting your art out to the world, the more people that see it, it doesn't matter kind of where it is. We're underground yeah. artists, and and so unfortunately, we I would love to have sold out shows where we could get paid $50,000 per painting and, and be okay like that, that'd be great. But with this kind of low-brow underground art scene, it's a little different. Yeah. Um, being an artist, you have inconsistent income. We work every moment we're awake, we're working pretty much, you know. Yeah, we yeah. don't have a couch, we don't have a... We can't sit comfortably, <laughs> we do that on purpose so that we're working in our studio when we're awake. Right, we've also sure. turned our lives around, importantly to doing a thing that's not work. Exactly. If you, if you do what you love as hard as you can, you'll Doesn't, never work a day in your life. Exactly. Even though we're working yeah. from 7 in the morning until Sure. We absolutely love it. But at the same time, yeah, we don't have necessarily a regular paycheck, or it's not like you get paid for your hours. So we try to pull income from as many simultaneous streams as we can. Yeah, and yeah. Well, the artists, to survive it, it sometimes that that's making products are things that people consume. And mm -hmm. artwork... You can only you only have so much wall space, and you can only hang so much. And if you're selling something that's not consumable, then it's really hard to make a living. Yeah. There's an artist in the '80s, uh, Keith Haring. Uh, he's a New York graffiti artist. Okay. Uh, he he did all this, you know, back then. He opened a store in Manhattan, and it was a big. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, he's an outspoken activist um, against uh, crack and AIDS awareness. He's really cool, cool dude. But his whole yeah he he was he caught a lot of flack for his store in in Manhattan and he's like he's like dude look around you know we live in this country that sells stuff there's nothing wrong with me putting my stuff on t-shirts or or nowadays phone covers or yeah. what have you like gotta you gotta it's a it's a doggy dog American <laughs> world out there do what you gotta do I think it's important for artists to to realize like and you mentioned you kind of touched on it with the the income having multiple streams of income is important for any artist and having your art on stuff allows you to have these streams of income that especially in today's world with the internet you can sell this stuff while you're asleep yeah and people are buying your art the thing is that's changing so fast and it's really like like surfing some crazy waves you know to like I said we were, I, we were both lucky to kind of hit Facebook and Instagram on this wave that mm -hmm. just happened yeah the whole world just saw it and now that wave is curling who knows what's going on, you know? Right, like, uh, right. It's not like, oh, I have, you know, a few thousand followers on Instagram and I'm fine. Like, no way. It's all going to change. Right. Facebook's going away. Instagram's going away. Like, what does that look like, you know? It is, we have been lucky to, to, to catch those waves, uh, but we'll see, you know? I don't know. What, what are a couple of struggles that each of you have overcome in, in becoming a professional artist. I mean, I know there's a lot, but just give me like one or two. I think trusting that it'll work, you know, like not stressing too hard about 
where you're, you know, sometimes you get low on money and it seems like, how is this going to work out? But then it always does. Like you, it, it always works out. You figure it out. You have to trust that it will no sure. matter what, you know, state of life you're I in. I like to think of it like, um, you, uh, have worried about money. You've worried about money. Yeah. And here you are with a, a belly full of breakfast. You're warm. You're taken care of. It's okay. Was was any of that hand wringing and worrying about how you're going to pay your bills when you were in your twenties like worth it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was worrying about that bully who was going to beat you up after school like worth it? Like it happened. It's fine. You and until you die, like you know, it's all going to be fine in a sense. Also, you know what I'm saying? So sure. Yeah, we 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 have gotten over worrying. I think also getting over. At first, it was really hard for me to try to sell my own art and, like, share. Is that because you didn't think it was other people would like it, or...? Yeah, just, like, shy and, and awkward and, like, felt like I didn't want to be, like, self-centered, like, look at my shit, you know? Like, right. Um, <laughs> look how great I am. It's really weird. I'd rather have someone else sell my art, you know, and, okay. and not have to deal with the interaction or... You know, I got a fairly tough skin in art school with people ripping, you know, apart your paintings and thinking they look like shit, so... But yeah, getting over the actual like learning how to sell and market without shame has been a big thing. Okay. So you have grace. to survive with grace, <clears throat> with grace and without shame um, was definitely a struggle I had to give up, get over. Like doing something like Boulder Creek Festival was really hard at first. Yeah. Just being there and being like, "Hi, want to buy something?" You know, it's it's awkward for me. For those kind of those kind of art festivals like that, do you guys find success in those? Yeah. Yeah, because that's I mean, a little bit different than a music festival, you know, music festivals. Oh, you mean like the, uh, the Boulder Creek? Right, yeah. right. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're okay. <laughs> yeah, for that stuff, it's more like small ticket items. It's kind of, music festivals are great because we know the percentage of the crowd that's going to be way into our stuff is going to be way higher than sure. the general public. We make Boulder's. art about the psychedelic experience, and so that turns out it's, what, 1 in 20 people? So a, a large event like the Boulder Creek Fair you will get one in 20 who come by and go, oh, I know what you're talking about. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, uh, it, it's a really, it's weird, it's a weird, it's like talking about sex to virgins or something, <laughs> you know, it's like, if you haven't been there, it's 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 kind of pointless. It's hard to understand, yeah. 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 Well, let's talk about psychedelics. So, and I often ask a lot of artists, like, do they use any kind of drug paraphernalia in creating their art? Do you guys create art under the influence? Not I mean, typically. We have, but, yeah, we have. But, but that's but... more like just the intersection of like we had to make a painting and we were having fun with our friends and oh, it's time to go. We don't Or we have sit. to stay up all night for a festival. Yeah, we don't sit down and go, let's paint and take drugs. <laughs> yeah, most of the time, I think people think we're like here tripping all day or something. But and that's not the case. No, no. You, we're sober. I don't know, 99% of the time. I've been 100% sober since August. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, no alcohol, beer. no. Yeah, so we're just uh, like, yeah, like mules working in the studio most of the time occasionally. It's those experiences are so rich that you can come back and use them in your paintings. And I think, you know, painting on psychedelics isn't very easy. Okay. You know, especially yeah. it takes some getting used to, and I think from the whole festival scene, um, you can learn to do that. And there might be, you know, giving a painting the acid test at the end to see if it has that extra little sparkle is nice, but it can so kind of not essential. Find, you can find mistakes or something. You sit around with your friends and go, okay, I think this painting is done, you know, and you can get high and kind of look at it and go, oh, wow, I, I didn't see this, this, this thing that needs to change. Or uh, pop maybe. out or whatever. But... It, you mentioned the the sunset on the mountain. Uh -huh. uh, you know that's kind of what where the psychedelics come in. Is um, we have these personal experiences as human beings, uh, and then sort of take a Polaroid at the apex of that experience and say, "This is one of the coolest things I've ever seen." Swirling colors and love and whatever you know epiphany you have uh, at, at, in those experiences and then come back and talk about it in a uh, sober refined way sure on the paint okay i smoke weed in the evenings but i don't really count that as a psychedelic just yeah. a small personal vice rand doesn't smoke yeah i used to i smoked weed for for many years 
you know, depending on what part of the country you live, I think that there's big dichotomies between, with especially with like weed. You know, we live in Colorado. Everybody thinks we're high here all the time, which is truly not the case. Yeah. You know, not we're physically high, but not not mentally high all the time. What's but so it, great about the legalization thing? Then it's just like normalizing this this completely normal. <laughs> yeah, there's a huge misunderstanding. Other parts of the country still demonize it, and 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 it's ridiculous, right? You, it is totally ridiculous. Hear about them, you know. We could do a whole podcast on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I want to go a little bit deeper with you guys, if I may. Yeah. First of all, why should we care about art? It's uh, it's one of the things people do. The human race has done right. I was watching a movie the other day uh, with a violin. This person was playing a violin, and I I get super depressed, you know. Uh, you know, I think about war a lot, serial killers, you know, all the rape, all these, like, things that people are capable of. But then you have a violin, right? It's this masterpiece of, of carpentry. It creates music, which is this unique instance in, in the universe. Mm -hmm. And the, the sound, even a cello more so, that, you know, bow <laughs> on that string is one of the only things that makes all of the murder and war and, and, and everything that's happened, uh, all the clawing our way out of the primordial swamp to create a society, lands on uh, music, art, science, family, food. Um, it's one of the, the top things. You know? Yeah. I think art's something you can do until you're 110 years old it's one of the few things you can. I don't know. Without what's the world without art? Right. A gray concrete yeah. block of, <laughs> of, of a war machine and, and business. Yeah. I I think there's a few reasons, uh, at least for me. One being like I think people should incorporate art into their own life, even art that they make, just because it can be a really meditative and good thing for your mental state and figure out a lot of stuff. You know, work out things on paper or on canvas from inside. It's cathartic it uh as a personal process i think it can be really helpful to individuals but also it's one of the first things found in every single culture of the world is their art was this evidence of not only their communication with each other but also their communication of how they looked at the world so their art art in early times in every single civilization started as functional either ritual object, functional as a communication device, but also essential to the way they lived their lives. Sure. I mean, certain people could carve things. They, they needed it to talk, to divine, to, to figure out um, how they sat with their gods, they, to make effigies, to all of these different functional things that are part of early culture. And so I think now it's developed into something that we see as not essential, which is kind of sad. We It's developed into all these different forms. But I think art itself, too, is just like like other things in life. Um, like having an animal. They say, oh, you know, people, when you have an animal, you're this percentage more likely to be happy. Sure. It literally has a, a calculatable value in your life. And I think art and beauty does, too. You know, if even in really impoverished um, places in the world, when they get groups of people together and paint the buildings and paint the houses, bright colors, there is a raising of morale and a raising to your energy levels and how you feel. So I think it's become more of a subtlety in our lives and not as essential in communication and, and with our connection with the divine, but I still think it, it plays a subtle role that we don't even realize is happening that's essential to our happiness and well-being as humans. Yeah. yeah. I'd agree with that totally. So what do you guys want to leave the world as artists? I guess meaningful work. I mean, every once in a while we'll get a message or someone come talk to us and tell us in depth about the experience they had with one of our paintings. And some of them are so profound and they understand it on such a deep level that it like brings you to tears and it really seems like it has made a difference in their life. And I art's done that for me too. Yeah. And so I guess if if we can create or if I, I should speak for myself, um, can create a ripple or some things behind that can create some sort of positivity in the world or change people, make them make the decision to do better, or be okay with something that happened in their past. I think 
that is a great, great honor and what I would like to leave behind. Um, yeah, I suppose I would like to leave behind the just the, the humble example of having uh, lived a life engaged in a peaceful practice. You know, you can't rob or punch anyone while you're trying to work on a painting. And so I hope, you know, yeah, just to add my voice to that chorus of the good, the good fight. <laughs> the good fight. You can live your life as an artist. Yeah. And uh, I think just that sentence alone is, if it, you know, it's like... If Say it again? If you, you can be an artist. Yeah. You can be. Your art can be your life. <laughs> you can too. be an artist. You know, uh, if that saves one kid, then I guess it will have been worth it. What do you think holds most people back from becoming an artist? So you said you, said you can live your life as an artist. Why, why do people not do that, do you think? Instability, uncertainty. Like, if you have kids or if you have, like, big responsibilities, it can be hard to, like, just jump into this kind of unknown because you have to carve out your own path. There's no handbook for how to be an artist. Sure. And so it's different for everyone. And I think, I think people do it for the wrong reasons, too. A lot of times we'll see a lot of people who come to a festival and they see live painters and they never did art in their life and they're like, I want to be a live painter, I know now. And I think they have this idea of what it is to be an artist, this fantasy. Is it romanticized, yeah, do you think? Yeah, yeah. totally. And, and then they begin the struggle. And I, I think if you, at your core, aren't, like, if you, unless you really, really love it, then why would you? then to be a painter just because you want to be an artist may not work out for you and, and it's going to be a struggle. And I also encourage people not to quit your part-time job or your day job. Like work up your body of work if this is something you really want to do, but don't put all that pressure on your art right away. It should right. be a transition. Like there is something romantic about quitting your job and now I'm an artist. But if you want to really develop your work in a, and like be the best artist you can, don't put all that pressure on it right away. Well, and Randall, you mentioned having one foot in kind of the normal world yeah. as you were developing your career, working a regular job or a traditional job as you're developing your art and getting yourself known a little bit more. And I think that's really important. Yeah. And you yeah. said it too just now. Yeah, I did the same thing. We distilled it down to, um, you, you know, make a hundred paintings and then ask the question. You know, like that, that the struggle that an artist has, you don't have a hundred pieces yet yeah if you make a hundred with all your heart and soul I, I don't really see like being denied um, but that's you know that's like saying and, and like you know I want to be in the NBA like it's a whole thing right 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 <laughs> when I started this podcast right. I said I'm gonna do a hundred and I don't know why I picked a hundred it just seemed like a good number but it's like yeah. I will do a hundred and I'm committing to 100 regardless really? of what happens yeah. whether it takes a year or 10 years yeah and when a hundred happens then I'll be like okay I did it. I did it, and do I want to continue or not continue? But it's like, I, I need to know, until I do 100, I won't know if it's something I want to continue. Exactly. I have yeah. to get the experience first, yeah. so. Yeah. And other than that, the, the, the struggle for an artist can be the story you're telling yourself. Uh, yeah. For a long time, I grew up in a poor town that was like torn from the uh, crack and the, the financial crash in the 80s and all this like stuff. And I, I thought uh, the best for me would be like an above-ground pool, you know, that would be like really getting rich. You know? <laughs> and then I met a bunch of artists and I, I changed my story. I said, oh, I can be an artist. You know? like it, so I, I think that's, if you're in that small town out there, listener, uh, start hanging out with people that tell a different story. Yeah. That, that can really hold you back. If all your friends are losers, you know, and you're just smoking weed and playing video games. Uh, change that story to like I'm amazing and my friends are the coolest people in the world and we're doing stuff change your story yeah I like that I like that and I think continuing to learn in all the different ways that you possibly can like you know people might start painting and do 50 paintings but if they're not learning anything if they're staying at the same level if they're not pushing themselves to get better you're gonna struggle too right right and so here's a little thought question that I always ask. If you had 60 seconds with, for both of you, if you had 60 seconds when you were back in art school and you, when you had that 
two semesters of college. <laughs> what advice would you give yourself knowing what you know today? Watch out for Molly. <laughs> watch out for Molly. Who's a person, not the... Uh, actually, no, well, yeah, I would, no, say, I would say heads up for Molly. Uh, meaning uh, a few different things. <laughs> um, Open to the listener's interpretation. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what I would tell... I don't know if there's anything really I could have said just besides, like, keep going and, you know... It'll work out. I guess I wish I could have kept up with other practices a little bit more, but I don't know if it would have changed something. I think to like just keep going with your vision and not really pay, you know, take into consideration what other people say and what they think and use that, you know, pack it into the um, archives, but that just keep going and developing and you'll figure it out. Yeah. Don't worry about too much what other people say or think you should do. Because most of the people I went to art school with are no longer doing art. Yeah. Even the ones who were amazing, who were so good, who kind really? of snuffed their nose up at me, they're, they're not doing art anymore. I think so much about that is, is you can be a great artist and be broke and poor. And a lot of great artists have been broke and poor throughout history. Or you can be a great artist. You can be a good artist and be super successful. Yep. And, and the key, I think, is to find that balance of like, do you, do you want it from your heart is the crucial part there. Yeah. But also there is something to like marketing and, and product management and developing that side of art because we know some amazing artists who really can't get the business side down and so they struggle. Their art's incredible. Right. But right. it's kind of like you go to be a painter and you end up doing so many other things as far as like business, marketing, email, shipping. I mean, we spend so much time packing and shipping, which is awesome. That's how we, you know, eat. But um, you end up doing so many other things, product design, and you know, that you didn't expect. So like learning how to like carve out your job, which if you're lucky towards the end of the afternoon, you'll probably get some time to paint. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I had a studio, I had a studio both here in Boulder and then one in Louisville and I, we sat down one time, my partner and I, and calculated that we spent less than 20% of our day or our time overall the course of a week with a camera in our hand. Yeah. You know, the vast majority of the time was spent on, well, these days editing and post-production work, but also just the business side of it. Of Because you can be the best painter in the world, but if no one sees your artwork, it doesn't matter how great you are. Yeah. You got to get your artwork out. And I think, I wanted to ask you both, do you ever, have you, do you feel like you've ever throughout your artistic career compromised or, or painted more towards your audience than what you really wanted to do? Thankfully, no. I've never made a mark that I didn't want to. Other than I had one big commission for uh, Marvel Studios. I did a, a small poster for IMAX, the Doctor Strange movie that came out. Mm -hmm. And that was such an honor to be asked. And it was such a big deal that I, was, I said yes. And I, it was the worst two weeks of my life. Why is that? So I, stressful. It was so stressful that I mean, think Cumberbatch so, is very particular. About I'm it. <laughs> so lucky to. I thought it was great. I saw it on your site. I thought it was, I thought it was I'm awesome. So lucky that I get to uh, know this about my process and all. Yeah. Uh, but th that I, I, I never will take another commission again, <laughs> unless I like want to. It just doesn't come out of me that way. The the uh, constructive. Uh, the end of the day uh, redirection process that they had was, I don't know, it didn't work. Didn't work for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Too, um, I made that whole last half of that artwork uh, in tears, like trembling. I couldn't, oh, I yeah. couldn't do it, man. Yeah, the back and forth. It's also a huge, they, I mean, it's Marvel, it. yeah. so they are very, like, they're going back and forth five times a day with images, and they're like, oh, could you change this? And when it's a painting, they're used to working, I think, with digital artists. All right. That's right. my shortcut. I'm not a professional designer either, you know. I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. But, I think... Uh, yeah, thank we, you, Adam, if you're listening to this. Thanks again. That was, that was an <laughs> awesome experience. Sure. And it turned out really cool. But, um, but yeah, I think it prevents you from being able to work, I think, if you're thinking too hard or comparing too much. Like, the best workflow state is trying to not think Sure. Uh, exactly, by about yeah. anything but the tip of the brush on the canvas. And yeah, yeah. Get to that point. That's where the best art happens. Well, that's we didn't 
we didn't talk about it or touch on it specifically in this in this chat, but like the the zone that I think that's really important in artistry as much as anything else. You know, we talk about it all the time in sports, the athletes getting in the zone and it's very important in art too. And this is what we're touching on is like being in that zone of just being present with your brush or your whatever it is that your artistic thing is, being present in that and just focusing your energy there and not worrying about the judgment or your own self-judgment or or yeah. the outside judgment from society. You're going to go from I'm the I you know moments of like I, I make the coolest art in the world to like literally suicidal thoughts of how terrible your art is. Yeah. Uh, the writer Elizabeth Gilbert has a TED talk that we just love. I try to listen to it uh, multiple times a year. Uh, she wrote the book Eat, Pray, Love. Okay. And uh, her TED talk is about the creative genius. The creative genius. Oh, yeah, I think I have seen that. It's so good. Say your name again Elizabeth Gilbert. Elizabeth Gilbert. And, uh, TED talk. TED yeah. talk on genius. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's what it's about. Uh, you do have to get your butt in the chair. And work, and whether you're good or bad, it's not really up it's, to you. It's not up to you. It's not your business. Because you always give the example too of like, like a little gopher digging out his tunnel, his little home, and and he might unearth some jewels, and and people look what look at that look, and he's like, oh, I'm, oh, okay, I'm just working. You know, <laughs> right, yeah. right. You got to keep going, and and hopefully you do unearth some jewels. But if not, that's still your job to, to dig that hole. And it's right. still your job to yeah. keep going back in and every day. And the jewels are kind of useless to the gopher also. Right. doesn't really matter. He's just got to make his home. Uh, that's yeah. so true. And I think getting into the flow state is really, really difficult. Getting out of your own way. I, you know, we paint best when we don't think too much. And uh, so we have a few different things we teach and practice to try to get into that state. But um, sometimes it can take three hours of painting before you really feel like you're there. Yeah. Do you want to plug, speaking of teaching? Absolutely. Well, I was going to say, I was going to move on to uh, get people getting in touch with you and uh, and Googling either of your names. Mm -hmm. You know, Google's so great. Um, Morgan Mandala. You own the first page of Google and same with Randall Roberts. And the first time I did with two L's, but you spell Randall with one L. There's a funeral director with two L's, I think. Okay. <laughs> well, I, well, even with two L's, you came up and then I was like, oh, one, one L. So you guys both have websites and Morgan's, yours is morganmandala.com. And Randall, I love your name, your website. I want you to tell me how that came about. It, all of this is for you.com. Yeah. How did you come up with that? All of this is for you. Well, uh, it, it, so yeah, when I became an artist, also, the rest of the world was opening up to me uh, in a fundamental, existential, spiritual way. Like, I, you know, I had just I uh, gotten really into philosophy, uh, psychedelics, all these things. I started to live uh, the my actual life, and I, I don't know, looking into all these um, world traditions and philosophies, I started landing on the idea that you are the one, uh, you're, you know, Jesus walked around talking about how me and me and dad are the same guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I just want people to think about that. I, it actually, it came to me what I was listening to the chili peppers. I was at a red light one day and, uh, Anthony Kiedis saying, uh, have you ever wondered if it's all for you? And, uh, I mean, I wept. It, I like, it was like, I got electrocuted. Here's this outside, and I've seen this uh, evidence of this over and over again, and maybe you have uh, too. Somehow, some magical thing happens where if you if you are looking for it and you tap in, uh, once in a while you you lick the light socket, and some notably outside force comes into your personal inside life and confirms what you hope is true that you are. Uh, a wave on this ocean called life or yeah. God or whatever yeah. and that you are actually connected to it all. Anyway, that's what the website's for. It's maybe maybe I can do that Anthony Kiedis thing for, for somewhere else. <laughs> and it also could be all this is for you yourself. Exactly. Yeah. As well as the you, the society that looks I, at your I, I personally think you are the most important person who's ever lived. Everyone else is a, a merry-go-round character floating around you um, I don't know. It's an endless point of consideration. Yeah. Like, if, like what, what is going on here? You know, <laughs> it's such a fascinating question. Sure. Alan Watts put it out. Uh, if you think about it, who am I is the most devastating question 
you can ask yourself. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a meditation that um, I had done once and where you meditate yourself, you visualize yourself like in the space that we are right now, in the home and then outside the home and in the city and then outside the city and, and get further and further away from earth and then try to imagine yourself not being a, in existence. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it might be, it might be, it's just so, it's so amazing, like, I mean, it's just, it's an amazing question of like, the existence that I'm here, and what does that all mean? And I have a friend uh, who's a psychiatrist and a, a big time uh, spiritual seeker kind of guy, and he, um, he said, uh, really, once you get over like 30, 40 years old, he's boiled it down to like, there's only two things to do. It's either have kids, and you can do them both. Yeah, have kids or figure out what the fuck is going on. Like, what is, right. what is this? And right. then dedicate the rest of your life to one of those things. Yeah. And strength, like, you can have kids and they kind of help you with that, uh, or, or you can skip the kids and just, you know, go full Ramana uh, Maharshi and go into the cave. And, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I think, it, I think it's a great way to spend your time right? pondering what is what is yeah yeah god is love and my religion is art i think we should end it there god (laughs) is love and religion is my art i was going to ask you if you guys had any words of wisdom or anything final but i love it let's just let's just end it right there i thank you guys so much for inviting me to your studio and having me on it it was so fantastic your your art is amazing i want everybody to check it out (laughs) thank you so uh, absolutely Music for this episode of the podcast is Traversing the Endless Road by our friends the Desert Dwellers. Check out my interview with the guys when we sit down together on episode 20 and make sure you catch their 2019 release Breath wherever you listen to your music. Are you ready to go deeper into the arts? Then sign up for the Crave Magazine Podcast Patreon. Starting with episode 26, we are offering a deeper dive into the artist conversation with extended bonus interviews. In addition, subscribers can get their hands on incredible limited edition prints as well as original artwork from some of the Crave artists. As you know, my mission is to bring art to the world, and as a Crave Magazine podcast patron, you will help make that happen. So please head on over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Crave Magazine Podcast. As always, be good to one another and take time to feed your soul with art. Thank you.